Good morning, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's a delight to be worshiping inside this morning where it's warm and dry and not so slippery. And I want to start this morning as we get into that text that David just read by telling the story of Lee Tim Oi. Lee Tim Oi was the first woman ordained in the worldwide Anglican Church, what we call the Anglican Communion. And a lot of churches around the world actually celebrate this day this past week on January 25th, which is the day of her ordination 78 years ago. And you might have noticed that I am also an ordained woman, woman, and there are a few of us floating around here, maybe more even than your average church, but that is not why I want to tell this story. I really don't want to talk about women's ordination today. I really just want to talk about Jesus. And that is really all that Lee Tim Oi wanted to do, too. She wasn't ordained because she was some sort of activist. She wasn't pressing for change or reform in the church. She certainly didn't want to be divisive in any way. She was just this brave, faithful woman who was doing the work that God put in front of her, the kind of work that our gospel text is going to talk about today. Now, before I tell her story, I brought a couple of icons of her, just laminated copies of them. So I'm actually going to pass these around so that if you want to see what she looks like, you can. And I put a few at the table at the back for the kids. And I would just invite you to look at these for kids. David, if you could put the link in the Zoom. Thank you. Icons usually have clues about what a person was like, where they lived, what kind of work they did. And so to the kids in particular, I would invite you to notice what you notice in this icon, to imagine what kinds of things this woman might have done. And then you might want to try making your own of Lee Tim Oi or someone else whose faith you really admire. But now to talk about Lee. She was a Chinese woman born in Hong Kong in 1907. So this is when Hong Kong was still a British colony, and that's why the Anglican Church was there. And she believed in Jesus early in life. She experienced a really strong call to ministry early in life. And so as an adult, she went to seminary in Guangzhou in China. But while she was there, war broke out between China and Japan as part of the larger World War II conflict. And she and her classmates would regularly go out into the streets when their city was, had just been bombed, and they would administer first aid to people caught in the rubble. And she and her classmates many times were almost trapped or killed themselves. They were really brave. And then after seminary, she kept serving. She kept serving her church. But the war kept intensifying until eventually her native Hong Kong was overtaken. And thousands and thousands of people fled Hong Kong and became refugees on the island of Macau. Now, no Anglican priests could travel to Macau at the time because of the way various things worked. And frankly, none of them wanted to either. But a Chinese person like Lee could go. And so she did. She went and she ministered to the refugees there. She provided emergency relief. She taught scriptures. She preached. She was even given special permission to preside over weddings, funerals, baptisms, communion. 
because there was no priest. There was no church there. It was just this woman. In one year of the war, she prepared and baptized 72 people in the refugee camps. Well, eventually her bishop back in Hong Kong saw what was happening and said that if she was doing the work of a priest, she really ought to be ordained as a priest. So he ordained her. And this made the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Anglican Church, kind of angry because no one was supposed to do that. But her bishop said this. He said, I'm not an advocate for the ordination of women. I am, however, determined that no prejudice should prevent the people committed to my care from having the sacraments of the church. Her bishop saw that this Chinese woman was doing the work of God when no English man could or would. And this reality that he was seeing grew his imagination for the kingdom, for the work that God was doing in the world and the people he was using to do it. And so even though it challenged his ideas of who could do that work, he didn't stay outside of that. He didn't condemn it. He decided, I want to get in on this. I want to support and amplify this work. And that's what I want more than anything. I think we all do, to get in on the work that God is doing in the world to have our imagination of his kingdom and who it's for and where its edges are stretching grow and expand. And I want to be part of what he's doing in whatever small way with my small life that I can. And today's gospel reading is about that. It's a story of Jesus announcing the work of God in the world the work that all the prophets had been pointing to, a work that Jesus himself is now fulfilling in the people's midst. But this work of God comes with a catch. And that catch is that it's not going to exclude the kinds of people that his audience wants to exclude. It's actually going to reach out and include the kinds of people that they would consider outside, unworthy, unclean enemies. So let's see what happens. Well, the reading begins in chapter 4, verse 21, with, Then Jesus began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, the scripture that Jesus is referring to is actually from the gospel that we read last week, and you are forgiven if you have forgotten what that was. But just a few verses earlier, Jesus is standing in the synagogue at Nazareth, and they give him a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he opens it up and he reads from it. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is the scripture that Jesus is talking about when he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, I am the one that Isaiah was pointing toward. I am that anointed one who is here to bring good news to the poor. And then this plays out all through Luke's gospel 
as Jesus again and again zeroes in on the poor and the marginalized, he heals their physical and their societal and their spiritual and emotional needs and ailments. And then in verse 22, we hear how the crowd starts to respond to this, that they were all amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. At some level right here, we see that they receive Jesus' message as grace. They recognize these are gracious words. It's this pregnant moment in the text where the grace of God is reaching out to them from across the centuries, from their own people's stories and histories, through the prophet Isaiah, and then in the mouth of Jesus who is standing in their midst. How are they going to respond to this grace? Will their imagination for God's kingdom be kindled and grown? Are they going to long to get in on it, to be a part of it, to see what God is doing in their world? Or are they going to stand outside of it and condemn it? What are they going to do? Well, the next thing they ask is, is not this Joseph's son? And there are a few ways we read this, or we could read this, but the plainest way seems to be that they're kind of scoffing. They're kind of saying, how could this guy be the fulfillment of that scripture? This is just our local guy. He's Joseph's son. He is a nobody, a person of no status. How could this be? And we see right here where those imaginations were right on the verge of expanding. Instead, they contract again. They bring God and his kingdom and his grace back down to size, back down to what they can understand. And so Jesus perceives this, and he uses a few figures of speech to basically tell them, I know what you're thinking. How could I be the fulfillment of this prophecy? If I was, then why wouldn't I be fixing my own poverty and lifting up my own status? And why wouldn't I be doing stuff for the people of Nazareth, you guys, my hometown? But my fate's going to be the same as all the prophets, to be rejected by you, by my people. And then he goes on to talk about two more of those prophets, Elijah and Elisha, both of whom in the stories he tells are taking God's healing grace to outsiders. Elijah visited a widow, a woman, a non-Jew, someone of no status whatsoever. And Elisha healed Naaman, the Syrian, not only not Jewish, but an actual enemy of the Jewish people, and a leper, someone seriously unclean. And Jesus seems to say in telling these stories that he's not just fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah, he's also fulfilling the life and work of Elijah and Elisha and what all the prophets of their whole history have been pointing toward. This day when God's grace would extend beyond the boundaries of their people to heal the widow, the Gentile, those of no status, even their enemies. And Jesus' point is clear. They are not going to get special privileges because they were born in Nazareth because they happen to have the right place or people of birth. And 
God's grace is going to keep reaching out to the people that they want to keep outside. And when the people hear this, they are filled with rage. They drive him out of the synagogue. They try to throw him off a cliff. And their reaction here is a foretaste of the hostility and the rejection that ultimately Jesus will face on the cross. But here at the edge of the cliff, with this angry mob pressing against him, verse 30 tells us the strangest thing. It says that he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. It's this weird, seemingly miraculous escape from a violent mob that wants him dead. And in that way, it also foreshadows how on the cross, Jesus will again miraculously escape and even defeat death once and for all in his resurrection. Nothing is going to stop Jesus's mission of grace to the world. Not rejection, not hostility or violence, not death. And the people can choose to get in on this work God is doing or to stay outside of it, but they can't stop it, and neither can we. Well, it's easy to look at this crowd at Nazareth and sort of shake our heads and say, like, they just didn't get it. But our history and our own hearts tell us that we don't get it either. I said at the beginning that I just wanted to talk about Jesus, and I do. And sometimes talking about Jesus means taking an honest look at our own failures to follow him, at the ways we don't look like him in our everyday life or in our churches, both as individuals and collectively. Sometimes we have to face in ourselves the things that if Jesus said them to us, we would want to throw him off a cliff or we would want to keep him safely sealed in a tomb rather than allow his message of grace to reach us, to penetrate us, to grow our imagination and our participation in his work. And this particular moment in both our liturgical calendar and in our national calendar offer us a few opportunities to reflect on this. In our national calendar, we're about to enter Black History Month, the month of February. And the story of the American church is a story that includes slavery and racism and a theology that kept people captive rather than setting them free. And so you may want to enter the month of February as an invitation to pay attention to this, to sit with this story and the ways it makes us uncomfortable and to pray for more of God's liberating and healing grace in our own lives, in our imaginations, in our church, even in our society. And then in our liturgical calendar in about six weeks, it's already coming, we will enter the season of Lent. And this is also a time for self-examination. I've been sitting with a quote from a writer this week that said, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. And Lent is a time to discover where we've done that. 
where we have asked God to just rubber stamp our hates and we have not loved the people that God loves. Lent is a time to face where we are not living in the way of Jesus. We are not imagining the work of Jesus in our world. And that way of living is bondage, and Jesus came to set us free from it. So we can ask him all through Lent to forgive us, to topple our idols, to put our sins to death, to resurrect us, and to fill us and send us in his grace to do his work. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the fulfillment of everything the prophets pointed toward. And thank you for your message of grace. Will you show us where we have made you in our own image? Will you show us where we only want you to keep out the same people we keep out and let in the same people we let in? Will you challenge us and grow our imagination? Will you heal us and set us free? Amen.